Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire you to take action to be all you can be. Today, my guest is Renee Cochran. Born and raised in WA, Renee is director and founder of Holistically Healthy, the Perth-based home delivery service designed to empower you to eat clean, delicious, satisfying plant-based food. Previously a chef at companies like Fortescue Metals, Renee has also extensively studied Ayurveda principles in India and the Himalayas. Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you. Cool. Um, before um, researching to get you on the show here today, mm. I had a little snoop around in your Facebook site and I noticed that you're quite the fan of Gary Vanacek and his, his marketing stuff. Yeah. yeah what is it about that that you like and what, what have you brought into your own sort of marketing practices? Uh, look, I haven't brought in much from him, but I just like that he's flamboyant and rambunctious and out there and a bit spontaneous, I think. And, yeah, his message is real, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Do you resonate? Is that part of you, being out there and rambunctious? Mostly. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. probably not quite as rambunctious as him. He's but pretty full on. I like it, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So holistically healthy. What is it and what's the message? Why, why, would, it, why would it appeal to uh, someone like myself? Do you like to eat healthy? Uh, yes. Yeah. So the idea behind Holistically Healthy was initially to set up a series of cafes that could serve as education centres um, where people could come and learn how to eat for themselves. Um, I think over time... I'm really nervous. That's okay. <laughs> um, over time, you know, you get... Um, you know, people are being fed that, you know, you need to eat this way and that way and that way, raw food, paleo, all these things are really good. And what I think it, people have found, you know, when they talk about this stuff is stuff that works really well for them, but it doesn't always work for everyone. And I think the beauty of, um, of, of Ayurveda or of just learning to eat high energy plant-based or, um, or high life force food is, is that, yeah, everyone has a different way of eating and food affects you differently. So the way food affects you will affect me differently. Yeah. Um, and so in Ayurveda, it's about learning what your body mind type is and how food affects you physically and therefore mentally. And I, for me, um, I think because we choose to be physical beings in this world, you know, it's very difficult for a lot of us to go and sit on a, on a mountain and meditate and, you know, and, um, yeah, and, and have a healthy mind. You know, it, a lot of the time, sorry, I'm so nervous. I'm actually. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so basically the, the, the basis of Ayurveda is to have a healthy body, you must have a healthy mind. And to have a healthy yeah. mind, you have a healthy body. And they're universal and they support each other. And there's different ways of doing that and each person is different. Um, right. And it's about that acknowledging the, that. Is that the yeah. body-mind type? Yeah. So, yeah. so what are the body-mind types? Are these parts yeah. of the Ayurveda? It's part principles? of the Ayurvedic way. What I learned with Holistically Healthy, though, um, was that it's very difficult. Um, it was very difficult from a business model to be able to supply that kind of food to lots of different people. Mm. But, yeah, there's three different body-mind types and you can be – everyone's a bit of a mixture of all. You know, but through working out what you are, you can work out what foods um, are good for you and what aren't so good, what to avoid, right. um, you, you know, and how different foods can energize you. For me, for instance, I'm pitta by nature, so my element is fire. So if I eat too much warming food, typically like just off the top of my head, like chili, onion, garlic, capsicum, it can increase my fire. To put really simply, I can get angry, small outbursts of anger. I can, you know, break out in hot welts or pimples or sores, that kind right. of stuff. So for me, and this is really sim like simplicity, yeah. but it's to eat more cooling foods, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, okay. And so then you have vata, which is, you know, element is air and ether. Mentally speaking, you know, like a vata person um, tends to – start things and not finish them you know if you if you imagine the wind you know it sort of ebbs and flows, flows and moves yeah. you know and a butter person mentally is like that so you know they need to eat more heavy grounding foods to sort of bring them back down to you know to, to earth so to speak yeah. so it's about yeah so this fire this wind and what was it SR, which is sort of the space between space um water and earth water and earth. yeah so, yeah so the three or four 
So there's five altogether, oh, five. but three. So there's five elements, three body, mind types or doshas. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. It could go on for hours. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's, it's in its simplest form. It's just about using food, um, to, to work for you. Yeah. Um, food is medicine. Right. You know, I like that. yeah. And when you said, um, high energy food. Yeah. What so, do you mean by? So on top of that, you've got three different food groups called sattva, rajas and tamas, right? And so sattvic food is a food, if you're looking at a plate and you want to divide it into three, three segments, so sattvic food is high-energy content food and it's mainly fruit and vegetables, you know, and if you're looking at a plate, you divide it into 75%. You want to have 75% of that on the plate. Yeah. And then you've got rajistic food, so sattvic food kind of creates space, you know, uh, clean thinking, all of that sort of stuff, you know, and then resistic food is um, invokes curiosity, energy, makes you want to do things, ask questions, do all of that sort of stuff, and it's um, more energetic. And you want to kind of have around 25% of that on your on your plate, 20 to 25%. And it's processed foods, it's rice, milk, dairy, onions, garlic, ginger, depends on what stream of Ayurveda you t- um, yep. talk to, some consider it tamazic. And then you have tamazic food, which is it almost leaks energy from you, you know, um, so it invokes inertia. You don't feel good when you have it. Is that when you get like a food coma? Actually? Kind of, yeah, and it's so um, meat, meat, cigarettes, alcohol, tobacco, um, leftovers sometimes and then depending on yeah what kind of ayurvedic stream you follow it can be onions garlic that kind of stuff right. as well and you just have five percent of that mushrooms interestingly fall under that category because right. they glow in the dark what does sugar fit in all of it tamazic which yeah. means don't eat it five percent right. yeah right. <laughs> yeah it leaks energy from you yeah so um i'm loving this link between foods and energy states uh, yeah. So if you eat food that is good for you and that is high life force, life-giving food, it can support your mind to clear itself up and then therefore your mind then helps support its body. The body, disease, according to Ayurveda, disease manifests first in the mind and then later in the body, mm. you know. So if we, if we can use the body to support itself to clean up our mind, therefore the mind can then help the body to support itself. They can sustain each other. Yeah. And it's really simple. Like when I was... When I was taking drugs and doing all that crazy stuff, you know, paradoxically at the same time, I was actually studying naturopathy as well. But what right. I, what I learned then was, and this is only my personal experience, but what I found was, you know, you could go and see someone and you could spend quite a lot of money, um, getting lots of different pills and stuff like that to, um, to help support your body. And for me, what really resonated w- with me was just starting with simple stuff that you usually have in your kitchen at home in the form of spices and stuff like that, yeah. you know. And so that was a, that just sparked the journey for me um, into going to India and I was going to say, where did you finding, learn all of this stuff? Where did I learn about Ayurveda? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If I told you. Um, That's why I asked the question. <laughs> okay. I just don't know if it can be said on, on radio. Um, I actually was going out with a guy at the time who was, I don't know if I should say it. Um, These are real conversations. You're all good. <laughs> he was a drug dealer and was um, wanting to start, he was heavily into Ayurveda because he had hepatitis C and was using it to clean his own body up and heal himself. Right. And he wanted to start a restaurant so that he could launder money through it. For right. <laughs> and that was actually how I learned about it, you know. Is that here in WA? In WA. Excellent. <laughs> and, yeah, he wanted – so I, that was how I was introduced to it. I was studying naturopathy at the time. Um, and, yeah, I just – you know, he he would teach me things that, you know, he was learning and stuff. And it just, just opened my mind to stuff that – I really related to and stuff that I think really, I don't know, that really resonated with me that you can use simple stuff in your kitchen that you have already at home. You know, why, 
why wouldn't you, you know, um, ancient way of doing it. And so that was, it was many years before I actually got the capacity to go and find out more about it, but I wanted to go to where it came from. So Which I went to India. India. Yeah, yeah. But that was how I discovered about it. So That's how you discovered about it. Yeah, back then, probably yeah. 10 years beforehand, 10 or 15 years beforehand. Interesting. Mm. So <laughs> you, you alluded to a period of uh, drinking and taking drugs. Mm. That, um, you know, uh, that... <laughs> that's quite a part of your life. I understand you left home at the age of 13. 13, yeah. Why was that? Um, I, I, um, I think that why did I leave home? Okay, basically I never felt safe in my own home. Um, and I didn't have an upbringing where, you know, my, where there were drugs or anything like that. I came from a really middle class family, but there was something in me where I just never felt safe. And, um, in the end, I think I decided that I could do a better job of looking after myself than my parents could. I think ultimately that's actually what it came down to. My parents never got along. They were always arguing amongst themselves and I didn't feel safe. And so I left. Right. Pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. And where'd you yeah. go? I um, I found a lady back then there was no internet, so there was a newspaper. And so I went through the classifieds and I found a woman who would probably be around my age now, like 37, and I called her and um, I asked her if she would lease me her house. And I told her that, you know, that it wasn't legal and that, you know, she, she wouldn't have a legal leg to stand on but that I needed help and could she help me. And she did. So she leased me her unit and um, I went to Centrelink and back then there was a benefit that was called Young and Homeless and um, I, wasn't, I wasn't eligible for it because I was too young. But I remember, <laughs> I remember... Yeah, they knocked me back and then I remember standing there with my hands on my hips and I told them that I wanted to speak to their supervisor and that I wasn't leaving until I did. This is at the age of 13. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I got paid in the end. They gave me their benefit and I went to school and worked two jobs at Domino's and Chicken Treat and went to school and claimed this benefit. And I had St. Vincent de Paul, they came around and furnished the house for me and that was me. Yeah, off I went. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with your parents while you were in this? Yeah, yeah. So my parents, I, mean, I have a fantastic relationship with them now, but um, I think. Are they together? No, no, right. no. Um, I think um, th- there was no stopping me. Like my parents wouldn't have been able to stop me even if they tried. I think that's what probably happened in the end and I think in some like looking back on it now as an adult and looking at the way that I've lived my life with you know I had to teach myself my own boundaries along the way and what's right and wrong I was probably craving for them to actually stop me I was probably craving for some kind of like no you won't do this some sort of attention perhaps yeah yeah um but I think that they were just too scared to my father in particular scared of what no idea yeah I um I remember that when I went, they made me do this counselling when I got this young and homeless thing and they asked my parents to come along. And I remember basically him telling me that the counsellor, that I should be a good little, you know, Catholic girl. I wasn't even Catholic. We weren't brought up religious, um, but to be a good girl and go home to my parents. And I remember my parents even, you know, really strongly disagreeing with what he was saying and stuff like that. But um they supported me. Like um, I didn't move far from them. It was only like a few streets away. Um, and, you know, I would go home and do the washing at mum's house, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so they were in my life. Right. Yeah. It's quite unique. Yeah, it was. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And then I remember um, in the end I had um, a good friend, my best friend at the time, she came and um, lived with me and She'd asked if she could come and stay and I said, yep, you've got to go get on this benefit and I'll pay for you for two weeks. But after that, you have to, you know, support yourself. And 
that went on for three months and it never never happened and in the end she brought in a whole bunch of really unruly people that were a lot older than me and um, quite scary and in the end I moved out of that house because I was um, it just it wasn't a nice place to live anymore there were a lot of drugs and a lot of just sick people around in the end and um, I remember dad helped me move <laughs> <laughs> and I moved into another place with a bunch of older people, and that was really when my drinking and drugs really, really kicked off. Yeah. What, what yeah. was that? Older people, yeah. Um, older people, I remember, this has been coming quite candid, but I remember that I I was, um, I, I believe I was either born alcoholic or, um, or, you know, certainly a predisposition to it um, for a long time. You know, like I sort of always... I always felt out of place. I always felt a bit like a square peg in a round hole. Like I never really, I always felt like I thought differently to other people. And now I realize I do and I'm quite okay with that. You know, I actually use that to my advantage, you know, but back then I just, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I was young. I didn't know. Um, And yeah, I think I just did it to fit in. And the people that I was hanging out with, um, did that. They were older than me. They were experience, you know, experimenting with drugs and alcohol and I was a lot younger, but I just didn't manage it. I didn't handle it well. And, um, yeah, overdosing a number of times and not meaning to, I was actually taking this one particular kind of drug because everyone was doing it. I didn't actually enjoy it. Yeah. Um, how old are you during this? I must've been, 14 or 15, yeah. I remember the first time I took a drug was 14 and it was acid and the person I was taking it with made me put it in my eye. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we cut it up because it meant to hit you faster. <laughs> and so, yeah. Did it? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, and, but that was how I lived my life, just extremes, to the extreme constantly one after another and living my life fearlessly but the paradox of that was that it was all fear-based. You know, all of it was driven by fear, you know. Fear of what? I don't know. Yeah, fear of just fear, I think, of living in my own skin. I think that's what it was, you know. Mm. Um, is that good what question. Drove, I'll think about that. Yeah. Is that what, driven, that what drove you on through the drink and drugs and fear? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Is that what took you away from home as well? You didn't feel so? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you put that well. Mm. I didn't feel safe at home. And I was always just a really headstrong person and so just made that decision, I think, that, yeah, that I could just do a better job of it myself. (laughs) It's kind of insane when you think about it, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so how long did the drink of drugs Continue. Oh, okay. So I'm 37 now. I actually stopped for good three and a half years ago. Stopped so for, for three. most of my life. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I also gather that you were held, held ransom at one point. Yeah, but we won't go into that today. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so um, what's been the turning point? Uh, okay. So um, I believe there was a series of turning points throughout my life. Um, and I don't regret anything that I've done. Um, I believe that my pain will allow me to help other people that may not have as strong as a mind as I, as I have. Um, but I, you know, if you look at a river and when you have to cross, you know, you've got these stepping stones and, you know, if you need three stepping stones to cross this river to get to the other side, but you pull one out, you'll never get there. And I really believe that everything that I've been through and the turning points have all been for a reason and I'm grateful for every one of them, you know. Um, The turning points um, was that for a long time I didn't realise that my drinking and drug taking was a problem. I knew, I thought I was the problem, you know. I thought that, or or I thought that, I actually thought because of the people that I was hanging out with for so long that it was normal. You know, I didn't realise that other people didn't do that and Mm. didn't go to those lengths or those extremes. I just thought it was normal. And um, when I went to India, I went to India for two reasons, to learn about Ayurveda but to also escape what was going on. But I didn't realise that's what I was doing at the time. I just wanted to go find more of myself. And um, 
And what I realized on that journey is that you just take yourself wherever you go, that it starts here, it starts inside. But um, the turning point was was when I wanted to stop, I realized I couldn't. And that shocked me because generally when I put my mind to something, it will happen. <laughs> you know, I can apply myself and make it happen. And I couldn't with putting down the drink and drugs. And it baffled me for a really long time. And I was like, you physically couldn't, or you'd say, well, I'm not doing it today. And then by lunchtime, I'd be drunk. Yeah, I'd be drunk again. Um, And yeah, it was really humbling because I have such a huge ego because I think that I can do something and make it happen. And then when I realized I couldn't, I just, yeah, I was just really confused. (laughs) But while that was going on, while I was battling with myself, um, my drinking was getting worse. So I, I left. Just, Alcoholism. Just so I know. Yeah, yeah. When you say worse, what are we talking here? Bottles of vodka during the day? Mm, yeah, or, totally. So, yeah. so when I was younger, the drinking was, yeah, it was frequent. It was, I uh, was a blackout drunk from the time that I first drank, you know, like I would never drink, uh, I would always drink to excess, always for an effect, never just have one or two. Like it was always, I could never guarantee my behavior or know where I was going to end up. It was yeah. just always like that. Um, and then, yeah, I went to, I turned to drugs. And when I found a drug that I really enjoyed, I rolled with that for a really long time. And I did it for a number of reasons. A, because I could actually be in control. Like I could remember what I was doing. I could go mm. out and have a really good time and you feel comfortable, but I wouldn't black out. Yeah. Right. Um, and I just, I loved that feeling. Um, and then when I left to go overseas, um, yeah, there were, there weren't as many drugs available. Um, and I didn't want to take drugs, but my drinking came back, you know, and so that addiction, right. I just basically switched one for another. And I mm. did that most of my life. Um, and so, yeah, when I was in India, I was studying, um, and, yeah, I was in one place and I had had finished studying and it actually got pretty bad pretty quickly. I think it had started to get progressively worse and then um and then it got really bad. Um and yeah, around the clock. So I would go to sleep, pass out, and then wake up in the middle of the night, two, three in the morning. I never really got the shakes, but um my nervous system would be um, shot basically and uh, and I wouldn't drink but I would get up in the morning probably around 10 or 11 and and need something just to calm those nerves down yeah and um, I was studying Ayurveda and I was doing all this stuff that I really believed in but at the same it's time I was living this lie stuff. yeah and um, and you know that dichotomy was kind of that really wore me down in the end and um, yeah that went on in India for about two or three years, and then um, towards the end I took myself to Nepal um, and thought that I might be able to meditate my way out of this drinking problem that I was having. And I, um, yeah, so I took off. And is this went, at the point when you're thinking it's this is a, to This stop. is final, yeah, this is the final stage of it. And then, yeah, I took a bottle of gin in with me to the meditation retreat. <laughs> I knew then that I was completely gone and um yeah so when I got out of this yeah I was I couldn't do anything about it like I needed help I wasn't of myself Mm. I couldn't I couldn't actually help do it on my own and um and so I I actually rang my dad you know and I was 29 and I said dad I'm fucked I need I need help can you come and get me and help take me home and um, from from India (laughs) yeah he was on the plane the next day yeah, and um, I met him back in Delhi and we flew up to Dharmasala together and packed up my little house and I think two weeks later I was home. Here in Perth. Yeah, but I did, again it took me another five years to actually get it. That was the beginning of it, you know, but I have um, a lot of pride and um, and I again I tried every way to, to just to not admit that I had a problem, you know, and, it, it yeah, it took me a really long time. Um, but... Eventually the turning point again, or the next one, was that I was working for a mining company and, um, yeah, and I could just, I could see the bottom, you know, I could see the bottom I was going to hit really quickly if I actually didn't do something. And I was at an age where I I hadn't lost everything but I could see, 
hadn't lost everything. The truth was I didn't have that much to lose. I'd lost enough of myself, I think, by then to go, right, if I don't make decisions now, that's going to be it for me and it's going to be too late and, you know, and I, and it's time to change. So um, that was the beginning of, a, of the journey. And, um, yeah, I just found some really good people around me that had been where I was and they really helped me through it. They loved me through it. And um, and now I'm here, three years on. Yeah. How long have you been doing holistically healthy? Two years. Two years. Yeah. So this amazing company, mining company that I used to work for, they were like family to me. I I feel like I grew up with them. They were um, they were family. You know, um, I started with them when it was a really small exploration company, and then um, worked for them for quite a long time, went to work for another company for a while, went to India. I would fly back from India from time to time and do some work with them. And then when I came so back to Perth. This? Huh? What sort of work was this? Chefing, cooking. Chefing, yeah, yeah. Like and, um, and then when I came back to Perth to live, I pretty much got my job back straight away. I just walked back into my old mm. job. And, and so when I realised I, you know, needed help, I just went to them and I said, I've got a problem with my alcohol. And it was so funny. One of them just went, no, <laughs> you know, I thought I'd managed to hide it, but not from all of them, you know. And they said, right, how much time do you need? Take whatever time you have off. They paid for it, wow. you know, and um, and I had enough leave up my sleeve, I think, but they were just completely supportive, you know. And so I took two or th- I think it was three months in the end off to, yeah, just just get better. What did you do in that three months? Then? Um, I I can't really talk too much about it, only because um, I'm not meant to promote it. Yeah, okay. so it's it's not. It, yeah, I went to a twelve step fellowship, you know, and and I worked twelve steps, and I um, hung out with people that had been there before, and and pretty much just did what they told me to do. <laughs> you just yeah, gave yourself over. In the end, because I I tried it five years before that, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do what I was told. I moved out when I was thirteen. I fucking wasn't going to do what people were going to tell yeah, me yeah, to yeah, do. That you know, ego, it was that really yeah, was coming yeah. through. Yeah, but I was beaten enough in the end just to go okay so I've tried everything my way my best thinking get, got me here and I'm in the shit so I, I, I'm just going to try doing it someone else's way for a bit and that's a cracking piece of honesty with yourself isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know really that was the turning point because um I believe that when you can get that honest with yourself it's only then that you can really grow you know like you can't if you know everything where, where can you go with that? Yeah. Yeah, I learned that one. Mm. Yeah. I think we all struggle with that at times. Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's a series of, um, you know, just steps in learning humility, you know, along the way. Mm. But, yeah, like I said, like I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know. I just wouldn't. I had um, my delivery van the other day was broken into and uh, about three months ago now and, a whole bunch of syringes and everything were left in there and the detectives came around yesterday and um, and they've caught the people who did it. And I got talking to him, you know, and it's all drug-related and, yeah, it just makes me think. I was asking him, so what happens to these people when they get out of jail? Like where do they go? There's nowhere for them to go and they wind up back in jail in like, you know, two, three months, he says. And, and the really cycle what continues. A, and the cycle continues, you know. Because they don't know any better, like they, and I really believe that addicts, as a whole, think outside the box. You know, they they um, they understand or they acknowledge that there is more to the norm than what we're being fed. You know, go to school, get a job, get into debt, live the dream by buying a house, getting to debt. You know, like I think they understand fundamentally that there's more to life than that. It's just being channeled in a way that's mm. you know negative in a way. You know, and so if we could help these people like myself, you know, use that energy that's in them to channel it in a way that's positive, mate, I just think that yeah. know, it's limitless, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And is that what you're doing now? Uh, it's the beginning of it, yeah. The beginning of yeah. it. Yeah. So, at what, so you've had your three months, you've cleaned yourself up. At what point do you think, 
um, not, I take it you went back and continued chefing at the mining yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. At what point do you think, right, now it's time for me to go out on my own and be, and, and actually now become really fully accountable to yourself? Um, well, if holistically healthy, so I think it was 12 months, yeah. And in that time I was researching, researching, I was saving my money, I was. Was um, this goal there for you? Or is this what you're so, researching? And- so, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, there was like, a, I think, a series of turning points and stepping stones, so to yeah. speak. So Ayurveda was always part of it. I wanted to teach people how to use food and because food's my background, you know, uh, and make it into medicine, you know. So I always knew I had those two things in my head. Yeah. I just hadn't put it together, you know. And so right. when I was working for these guys, you know, I worked in exploration, so it was, um, you know, it wasn't huge numbers of people and, you know, they were all people like me that were my age, Margaret River, cool surfy crew that were interested in really healthy food. So um, I was like, I practiced on them, you know, like I would feed them all this really good food that I loved making, got feedback of them. It was like my training ground. You know, being supported by the universe with all these things along the way, you know, yeah, yeah to do this stuff and uh, and a wonderful to company to, you know, to, to they were just really good to me, you know, and um and yeah, and so um in the end, I'd saved some money. I was clean and sober. I um knew what I wanted to do, and there was just the fear of doing it, <laughs> yeah, and just taking that jump and and you know, making it happen. And um, in the end, what happened in the end was I was married and um, Raku had come from India and I wanted to be home. I loved what I did, but I wanted to be home more. And um, When did you get married, sorry? We got married here. It took three years to get him here. Um, And then we got, we had a big Bollywood wedding. It was lots of fun. We had a wedding here. And... um, and it became too painful to keep doing what I was doing in the end, which was staying up there. So the staying up, up. up north, working yeah. away. So the fear of the unknown, sorry, the fear of being up there, sorry, the it became too painful to be up there, continuing to doing to continue to do what I was doing. It ended up by outweighing the fear of the unknown. So it was in the end, it was it was almost like there was no choice but to jump. Because the fear of the unknown wasn't as painful as staying and doing something that I didn't want to do anymore, and wow. so it yeah. put, you know, so I just did it. And um, so got that bad in the place that you're in. Yeah, in myself. So the one thing that I've always done is I've only done what I've wanted to do in my life. I've never done anything that I haven't wanted to do, and so that guides me a lot, you know. And in the end, as much as I loved the job, as much as the pay was great and everything, I really didn't want to do it anymore, and I really didn't want to do it for about a year six months to a year hmm. and and so I was planning and, prepara- and preparing and everything while I was working and stuff and in the end I just didn't really want to, really didn't want to do it so I didn't. And then what happened was um, when I quit or when I'd gone to my boss and I said, I'm going to leave, he goes, don't leave yet, I can make you redundant in a couple of months. So I oh, knew nice. that, again, it was another sign that I was yeah. heading in the right direction so I stayed and got a bit more of a payout and um and then I spent six months looking for my first cafe because that was what I wanted to do, um, set up a franchise and use these things as education centres. And, um, yeah, every time I got a, I found a, a cafe or something that I thought would be a good idea, there just seemed to be a blockage. It just didn't work. And I was talking to people about potential partnerships and it, they just never worked. Mm. And I went back working on a contract basis for these guys, for their mining company. And, um, and again, in the end, um, I said, look, I only can really do, like I think I, I said, like a, a week, a month or something like that. And then the swings got longer again and I was getting resentful. And in the end, I ended up by having to say to my boss again, look, I'm kind of going to become this person that you really don't want to have around anymore. Like I, I just have to have to not, I just can't come back. And so they said, okay. And that was really when I took the leap of faith because I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't find a cafe anymore and I thought, all right, universe, what the fuck am I going to do now because I've got no income coming in at all. What am I going to do? And I just went, I'm going to do home delivery. And it just opened up, 
and it flowed naturally and then supermarkets started to come on board and say, would you stock us? And, you know, and I went, okay, and we just grew. And then I had this wonderful opportunity to walk alongside a um, a rapidly going franchise here in Perth and that really helped me shape my business and fucking hell I learned a lot in that year, you yeah. know, just about boundaries, about you know, growing so fast that you can, all you can do is like keep up. And, you know, in some ways that became my next addiction or my next obsession, you know, yes. just, I had something else to sink my teeth into, you know, yeah. but I loved it, you know, it had my adrenaline going and I was so, busy and, you know, and yeah, so I had, yeah, I just kept being given these gifts along the way, you know, and, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. So when you said, right, I'm going to do home delivery. So you making the food and you're making these meals and preparing yeah, so them and then I had this um I've got this friend and she does social media marketing and stuff and um she really helped me in the beginning because um I noticed she got like fifteen and a half thousand followers on Instagram. On Insta. and, <laughs> yeah. and and just under seven on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Um so we started out on Facebook and Karma um you know, before I left um, my job, we started posting recipes and getting a bit of an awareness out there. Mm. So when I was ready to start a cafe, which was the original plan that people would already know who we are. So we probably had maybe three or four, maybe 3,000 followers then. And then so when we launched, yeah, some people knew who we were and it just kind of kept growing, word of mouth, people started talking mm. and, yeah, it just but went But you making there. the meals and then yeah, packaging I was making them the and then delivering yeah, yeah, them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was doing everything to begin with. Yeah, I was working around the clock, 16-hour days. But, again, like I said, it was – I was so happy to be doing what I was passionate about mm. that it was – and I was, I was just so present the whole time. It was like nothing else existed because I just was so in the zone and just loved what I was doing so much and so grateful for the feedback I was getting and it was just – I just – I felt alive, you know, like I was energized, you know, to be doing something that I just loved. Mm. Yeah. And then so as this grows, what do you do? Take on staff? Yeah. Took on staff. That must have been a leap. No, it was necessary. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um so I took on staff. Like I what I what I so with so I sort of did all the recipe development and the cooking and everything because that's what I do well, like that I, that's my jam and connecting with people and making stuff happen. But what I did at the very beginning of my business and I still do today and will never change this is that I recognised my weaknesses and I never try to do the things that I, A, have no interest in or, B, I'm just not good at. I find people that are good at that and pay them to do it. Yeah. And um, that's what I include- did. include? Bookkeeping, marketing, um, branding, website, that's pretty much it. I'm sure yeah. there's something else as well. But just the things that I don't, mm. you know, otherwise I'd be up to all hours of the night invoicing, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I, those things, yeah, I don't really have to worry about. I have really good people do that. And then it was doing the same thing in the kitchen, having a chef that I could not mold, but I, I bought on this chef that was really amazing and she was um she really helped me in the beginning because she really she was a fantastic chef, is a fantastic chef, not a lot of experience in vegan food. So that really piqued her interest because she was learning something that she hadn't learnt before and she was amazed that you could do all this stuff with plant based food, turn cashews into cheese and you know, all this sort of stuff. And um and so when there was something for her to sink her teeth into, as in grow the business with me, she was passionate about it and it was really great for her. And then what happened is we got bigger and systems had to get put in place and all of that sort of stuff. It was less um, less exciting for her because there was less of a place for her to be creative and it was more about being systematic and doing the same thing. Well, yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Specifically for the wholesale side of things, for the mm. supermarkets, you know, there's all the oh, health and safety and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, with the home delivery, we can be more creative and all of that kind of stuff because the menu changes more frequently, but, you know, everything has to be done consistently the same way all the time. And for a chef, that's boring as batshit. 
a lot yeah. of the time. So, yeah, so she left and um, but what she did do was help me grow and find the right people and now we have a really good team in there that serve two purposes. So, you know, um, I, I don't, you know, I can walk away and leave the kitchen now and know that it's in really good hands, you mm. know, because I've got such a good team that they just mm. believe in what I do and they're just, yeah, they're just a happy, happy team that just work well together. Excellent. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. So you're supplying supermarkets mm. with prepackaged yeah. healthy food. Healthy yeah. food. And then you're also doing the home delivery as well. Yeah. How much what was sort of percentage breakdown of the Oh we do a lot more wholesale than we do home delivery. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I always find um I always find with the home delivery, you know, you, you see them advertised yeah. as, as well as what you're doing. Yeah. I always I always question whether this is on one level outsourcing a certain level of self-responsibility. For the consumer? For the consumer. Totally, yeah. But also, you know, I think it, it's, it's really hard, you know, because up until about, well, two years ago, I wasn't actually in my market, you know, like I – love to cook and I love to eat well and eat freshly prepared food. It's what Ayurveda is about, you mm. know, eating high life force food. But I'm completely my market now. Like I live a really busy life and I'm on the run constantly between meetings or what, you know, and, and I want to find something that I can grab and eat and not have to spend too much time cooking, you know, but it needs to be healthy because for me, I mean, that's, so important to me, you know. So, yeah, it's really interesting because there are so many people out there. Like it, today's lifestyle, just we're just so busy all the time. So, yeah, you're right. You're outsourcing a certain level of responsibility, but so interesting because so many of my clients, like most of my clients, are women. I think because of the kind of the way that the food is, it's quite niche food and it being plant based and stuff like that. But a lot of them are, are mums, so they have a family and they have kids and a husband. And they want to eat something really healthy for themselves and they don't want to cook two meals. So they cook something for their family and then they have something for themselves that they right. can just pull out, you know. Yeah, or double income, no kids, you know, like people that are just busy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So um, what sort of – do you actually see the impacts that you're having on your clients? I mean, obviously, if it's wholesale, it's going out and it's going to a mystery, and people are buying it. You don't really connect with them with your with your home delivery. Yes and no. We um, I get a lot of really good feedback. You know, they write in and they just you know, sales is one form of feedback. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like we have a really good retention rate. So um, you know, eighty percent of my clients are repeat customers. So that's good feedback. Um, but when people first join up. Um, or when they first deliver, when you get an email back for no reason at all just to say, oh, my God, I've just had your food. It's the best food we've ever had. We just didn't expect, the, you know, thank you so much. That warms my heart and that tells me that I'm on the right track, mm. you know, and that is just, yeah, that means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love getting that kind of feedback. Who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you, what do you, um, what's your view and what do you see in terms of, um, like the, the diet and what we consume here in Western Australia as a whole, if you come back up, given you know, what you know, what you see? Again, I'm quite a niche eater. Like the way that I eat isn't how probably most people eat. Mm, but surely, um, you know, you don't. And you don't I have an know. awareness because I've done a bit of research for my business. Um, and I don't think we eat well. And a lot of the time I'm quite surprised at what people do eat. You know, even my friends, you know, I go to their house and, yeah, I, I, sometimes when I think I'm eating shit, I realise my version of shit is quite different to another's. Yeah. And, your, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's not It's not coming from like a like I'm better than anyone else or it's not coming from a place of judgement. It's just, yeah, I think as a whole, again, what we're being fed by the media or all this sort of stuff, it's you know, it's just, yeah, we don't eat well. Mm. You know, we eat a lot of processed stuff. But, again, a lot of it I think comes down to this busy lifestyle that we all 
leap now. You know, there's no time for anything. So a mm. lot of us just grab stuff on the run. Yeah. So, that yeah, I suppose it's playing on that convenience yeah. process. Yeah. 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 So where do you see the, the future of holistically um, healthy going from? Well, like, like I said, I kind of started holistically healthy um, for altruistic reasons. Um, one was to feed the world healthy food and slowly we're doing that. But um, the other was to give back and to start helping people like myself. Um, yeah, and... So that's kind of where I want to start taking the business now, yeah, and and it was to use it as a voice to be able to, yeah, use the business as a vehicle to give back. Um, just recently I've worked out how I'm going to do that. I don't, can't really say too much about it at the moment because it's still kind of really conceptual but, you know, through talking to this policeman yesterday and where what he's. a synchronistic chance encounter? Totally, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so I I know what I need to do now. It's funny because... Can you give us a rough idea? Yeah, um, uh, to create a safe place for people to come and teach them, to train them, that kind of stuff, give them an opportunity to do something, to go somewhere when they first get out of jail or when they first get themselves in the shit um, mm. rather than hit the streets. Because, you know, I know from my own experience and with the people that I used to hang out with that when you sort of get to a certain age, it's very difficult to come back. And um, come back. So if you're, say, and I'm only speaking generally here, but, you know, if you're still taking drugs or drinking or whatever between the age of 30 and 40, like at 35 and 40, it's very hard to come back because you've been doing it for so long. It's almost like it's just hard, you know, like you're almost starting again at 40, let's say, and you have to go out and get an education and just reinvent yourself. And for some people it's just too hard. Just keep yeah. doing what you've always known. It's easier. So, yeah, it's to, um, yeah, try and get these pe- – I've got so many ideas. I kind of know where I want to go with it now, but before I can actually say too much about it, I need to talk to some people about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but it's to, yeah, it's to create a space for – initially it was to create a space for younger people who are at risk you know, um, and lead by example, go, wow, if this person has done this, if she's done that, left home, died twice, done all this stuff and can do this, maybe I can too. Yeah. It's not, it's not for me to say you need to do this. It's maybe by showing even if it's just one person that, you know, if this person can do that and she's, gone to those lengths to destroy yourself and can like now do this, maybe I can do something like that too. And that's if I can just help one person do that, that would be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Awesome. What are you learning about yourself from this business? Um, that I'm a passionate person, that I care a lot about people. Um. And then I would go to any lengths to make something that I really believed in work. Does that answer your question? Hmm. Yeah. Do you believe that, um, I mean, that you, you delivered that with a huge amount of drive. Do you <laughs> think that same drive is what took you through the drink and drugs, but it was just misplaced? <laughs> yeah. If I could um, apply the same drive <laughs> to my business and to my life the way that I did to my drinking and drugging, then I have half a chance of accomplishing yeah, right. what I'm setting so up to So that's an even do. greater Absolutely. level of drive, yeah. was it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. As we look uh, forwards over the next five or ten years, what does success look like for, for, for Renee? Ooh. Both professionally and personally. <laughs> Do you know, I actually haven't thought about that. I've just been living in the present for so long and just thinking about kind of the next year. What would success actually look like? Okay, that I would have a thriving business that has a number of different parts to it, you know, so the the um, food part of it is the part that makes the money that actually drives the the 
I don't want to call it charity, but that part that can actually help these people to come in and give them jobs and um, and create space for them to train and then go out and either start their own businesses or do something like that. So for me, success um, from a monetary point is to have enough for myself to live, but so that I don't have to work in the business as much as being able to be out there to be able to give back. Excellent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's not about being a multimillionaire or anything like that. It's about having enough so that I don't have to work, you know, 24-7, but that I can spend my time helping others. And being that role model that we mm. talked about. Yeah. Excellent. Um, what's one of the things that people might be surprised to know about, Renee? That I'm a drug addict. Well, I don't think that's a surprise <laughs> <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm a pretty open book. So, you know, I guess if anyone was to ask me anything, I, I've never had a problem just coming out with it. So something that surprises them. I, don't, I've, I actually really don't know the answer to that. Fair yeah. Enough. Yeah, I, I couldn't answer that. Mm. Fair enough. Hmm. If you could go back to, um, I don't know, um, chat to Renee when she was 13 and about to leave home, what piece of advice would you give her? Um, <laughs> it would be, so as big me speaking to little me would yeah. be something along the lines of, all right, I know that you're going to do this anyway, so so I'm not going to stop you, but I've got you. <laughs> you're going to be all right. Something to that effect, yeah. Right. It probably wouldn't be to stop her because it would just make her more determined to do it anyway. So it would just be, right, I've got you back. <laughs> it's Something to okay. that effect, yeah. yeah. Excellent, excellent. Mm. And to that person out there who's listening to this, who's um, struggling with their own issues, demons, habits, and want to go out there and do something big like you are. Do it. Just take a punt and do it. Yeah. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You're not going to die. And that was being, that's been one of my biggest fears, like, oh, my God, if I do this, I'll die. Like, for some reason, I have this irrational, crazy fight-or-flight fear in me that I'm going to die. But you don't, you know, and, um, and you just keep going. So, yeah, give it a nudge. Give it a nudge. <laughs> give it a good nudge. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I want to thank you for being super open and honest and candid um, and, and sharing your journey. It's been mm. awesome to listen to. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I also want to thank uh, the listeners for listening to this. I'm sure you've um, got stacks out of this. And uh, some really good nuggets to take away. Um, again, WA Real is about real <laughs> stories. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Brent. Cheers. <laughs>